Praise God. Praise God. One more time, we'd like to give honor to everyone today. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. Thank you for joining us on this holiday. Amen. It's a great honor to have Mother Wright in worshiping with us this morning. And uh, I'm not sure where he went off to. Maybe he was taken and we're all left behind. Uh, But it's a great honor today to have the bishop, and not only the bishop, but my father in service today with us on Father's Day, Bishop Wright. We give honor to him today. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right, I just let you know right now, I, I was laughing with my wife this week. I, I, am, I am terrible, and I don't say this to be critical, I'm just terrible at uh, holiday messages. For some reason, me and Jesus can never get synced up that it's a holiday, so he never gives me holiday stuff. So I don't have a Father's Day message. So Father's Day's message, be a good father, let Jesus help you. That's your Father's Day message. So that's about as deep as I'll go for a holiday. I want to read a couple of scriptures, and you can sit down. I'm going to read some more scripture, and, and I want you to think about what I'm about to read. And I'm going to stretch, I'm going to, I'm going to stitch about 10 scriptures together. You're going to go, what in the world does all this have to do together? But the Lord's going to help us. Real quick, two scriptures. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I want to read several scriptures, but I want you to think about this as we're reading it. And this is what I want to share with you today is this thought. When faith changes your thinking or when your thinking changes your faith. When faith changes your thinking or when thinking changes your faith. We just read that Romans 12.2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about this. We taught about this at, at length over the last 18 months here at Antioch West. There's a translation that basically says it this way that you are changed by changing the way you think. Hebrews 11, 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now let's take a little biblical journey for a moment, if you would. We're going we're gonna to stitch several verses together here and on this little journey. And I want to pull several different ones. I want to take you back to Numbers 13, verse 26. And Work with me here for just a moment. Don't, don't zone out on me. Because all these verses have a key part to uh, what we're going to be talking about here in the next few moments. Numbers 13, verse 26. Now they departed. Now this is, uh, just real quickly, for those of you who don't know where we are in the story, uh, the Israelites have been circling around. Uh, they they'd come out of bondage, all this stuff, and, and, and they send spies. Over, they, they started out in the wilderness. They sent spies over to the promised land to figure out if they can take the promised land. This is before they went on this journey of 40 years. This is the moment before all that. And so they send spies over. They come back, and this was a report that the spies give. It says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, We went to the land where. You sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak 
there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is whom we saw it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our notice, not in their sight. We were grasshoppers where? In our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Because of the way we saw ourselves, that's how they saw us. Judges 20, verse 16. Guarantee you don't even know this verse is in the Bible. Judges 20, verse 16 says, Among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Don't forget that point. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Continue along. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance for his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Two more parts here, if you would. 2 Samuel 21, verse... Oh, let's just see here, verse 18. Now it happened afterwards that again the battle with the Philistines of Gob and Sabachipachaba and the Hushanachamaba. I'll just start speaking it to you. I have no idea if I'm right or not. And Saph, who was one of the sons of the giants, again there was war at Gob with the Philistines and Elohim, the son of Jeroboam, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite. And the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath. And there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And who was also born to the giant. So he defiled Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the servants. Obviously, we understand one of the most famous passages of Scripture takes place in 1 Samuel. We're going to read it in just a moment, if you would. But just to understand the context of this, that the topography of Israel is very unique. That Israel has a mountain range that runs along its eastern border. This is the, the place where most of the cities that you are familiar with dwell. Jerusalem, Hebron, Bethlehem, major cities. This is where the kingdom of Israel was established. It's really along this mountain range. And then the, the western part of Israel was a plain that was bordered by the sea and it was flat. And so there was a region between the fat, flat and the mountains called the Shephla. This is a, 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 a region filled with valleys that run from east to west. It's a, a region that's filled with forests, and it's a region that's filled with fields of wheat and all this beautiful stuff. It's actually, uh, as they say, I've never been there, but they claim that this is one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel, the Shephla. It's got several 
of these valleys of great importance. And, and if you were an army that was coming in from the east of the west and you had occupied the lower plains, the only way for you to get into the cities on the east where these mountains were was you had to pass through one of the valleys here in the Shephelah. And so there are several of these valleys that became of great strategic and historical importance. And one of those is the Valley of Elah. Several, several years after this event took place in the Crusades, it actually a, was a very famous crusader battle took place in this valley between the Islamic forces and the crusaders battled in this valley. About a thousand years before that, during the Maccabean Uprise, there was another great battle that took place. But the, the most famous battle that took place in this valley happened when the Philistines, who were a seafaring people, had occupied the plains of Israel. And it was their strategic initiative to be able to march through the valley and to occupy the the hills near Bethlehem, and to strategically cut Israel into two parts, cut in half. And so they amassed their army, they began to march, and Saul, hearing of this, and, there were, and Israel was in its infancy as a nation, as this, as this king-led nation, and, and, and Saul hears of this, and so Saul marches his army down out of the hills, And they meet in the valley of Elah. And after this clash where these two armies meet, the the Israelites take up stance on the northern ridge and the the Philistines take up stance on the southern ridge and, and they stare at each other across this expanse. Neither army mustering enough courage to come off their position because in warfare, the person who occupies the higher ground has the advantage. And so in order to attack the other side, you would have to run down your ridge across the valley floor back up to the other ridge in what would basically amount to probably a suicide mission. So both of these armies stood Day after day, staring at each other in a, in a proverbial stalemate. So after this had gone on, there was a term in ancient warfare that's lost today, but it was called single combat. And this was the idea that in order to minimize bloodshed on both sides, that you take your best guy and I'll take my best guy and we'll put them against each other and we'll fight and whoever wins, that's who wins. This actually took place many, many times in history. One of the most famous ones happened between the Romans and the Gauls. These two mighty warriors, a Gaul and a Roman, fought on this bridge and the Roman won. And because the Roman won... They were able to defeat the Gauls. So this was not an not a uncommon sight. So after this kind of stalemate, the great champion of the Philistines appears. We all know the story. The Bible says that he, he they describes him in such 
beautiful description. The Bible says that he, he comes down onto the valley floor. He, he's led by a shield bearer. Walks down onto the valley floor. He's about seven feet tall. Some say eight to nine feet tall. But he's obviously extremely tall and way beyond the comprehension of a man in that time period. Walks onto the valley floor wearing upwards of 125 pounds of armor. He has this bronze armor that was designed to be overlapping like fish scales that covers basically his entire body down to his knees. And he's got, he's got bronze shin guards. He's got a bronze helmet and, and he's carrying three weapons. Each one of them, in its own right, a, 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 a damaging weapon. One of them alone, the head of it weighed 15 pounds of solid bronze. He, he comes down to the valley floor and for several days he, he barks across the valley floor. And if you've ever been to a valley of that size... And you've got a chance to, to yell. It's amazing how far your voice can carry. And so without a microphone, without any kind of amplification, just the sound of his voice, he stood at the valley floor. And for days he yelled to the other side, up the ridge, to the Israelites who hid behind their rocks and hid on their ridge. Would someone come down and fight me? Nobody moved. Nobody dared to walk down and face this Seemingly suicide mission. This, this, this unsurmountable, you can't do it. It's stupid. We're, it was a lost cause. And we know the story. There was this young boy that was just delivering food to his brothers. He wasn't in the army. Wasn't trained. Didn't have any special skills. He wasn't a champion. He was just a kid that was delivering food to his brothers and heard the, the booming echo of this, this man called Goliath yelling across the valley floor. And so he heard this and said, why isn't anyone doing this? And they basically said, what do you mean why is anybody doing this? Are you stupid? Look at that guy. Look at us. We are but grasshoppers. And he says, I'll fight him. Wait a minute, you, you, can't, you can't fight him. No, I, I, I'll fight him. So, so he goes to Saul and says, listen, I'll take him on. Well, Saul, thinking in a very narrow-minded way, says, well, if you're going to fight him, then we got problems. Here, listen, you've got nothing. You, I mean, you're wearing basically a towel and sandals. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't do this. It's suicide. Try at least put my armor on. And so David at least, I don't think David ever had any intention of ever using armor. I think he just did it out of respect to the king. He at least tried it on. And when he tried it on, he looked and said, I can't use this. And he said these words, because I haven't proven it. Be careful that you try to use someone else's method just because it worked for them when you haven't proven it for yourself. We try to duplicate others' relationship with God, others' prayer lives others' marriages, when we haven't even proven it for ourselves. He said, I can't use it. I haven't proven it. And so, he goes into what appears to be a suicide mission. And on the way down the valley floor, 
There is a, 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 a stream, a brook that runs at the, at the base of the ridge on the southern ridge. And so as he came down off the ridge, he stopped down at the brook, picked up what looked like five innocent stones. And this is where we pick up the story. 1 Samuel 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to the giant, Am I a dog that you've come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, This is the greatest trash talking match in history. You come to me with a sword and a spear. And with a javelin, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and God of armies, whom you have defied. The day of the Lord will deliver you in my hand, and I will strike you and take you, take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, of the birds in the air, wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when David, when the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the earth. Now, we've read that story. We've told that story. In fact, that story has actually entered into the mainstream society. It was, it happens every time in sports. When, when someone who seems to be uh, of the underdog beats it, it was a David and Goliath matchup. And, and all of a sudden now we've made that. And so we, we walk around with this idea that David and Goliath, but, but I want to challenge you for a few moments to realize that David never saw what we read. We interpret it as this young shepherd boy trembling in fear as he walked on the valley floor and, 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 and he, he gets this sling and he, he nervously puts it in a rock and, and he, he just, oh, oh, please hit him, please hit him, please hit him, please hit him. Oh. Well, by God, I hit him. Wow, that's awesome. That's what we think about. Because obviously, when we look at giants in our lives, we automatically assume we're just overmatched and underdog. Because that's what we've been told. Giants are big and strong, and, and, and they're insurmountable. That's obviously the story. If David's victory was improbable, and David's victory was just almost just this sheer, this idea that David just happened to just, it was just this once-in-a-lifetime shot. But that's actually not really the case. That God was actually doing something far greater. And David knew it. So let's go back for a second. Let's look at a couple things that are of importance to this story. That's going to change the way we look at faith to defeat the giants in our life. Because every person in here today, you've got something on your valley floor of your life that's taunting you. It could be fear. 
It could be your past. It could be shame. It could be a broken marriage. It could be broken dreams. It could be broken relationships. Every person in here today, it could be addiction, whatever it might be. But every person in here today has a giant that's taunting you. You can stay on the ridge or you can come to the valley and fight. But it's how you look at giants will determine. Because ultimately, how you look at yourself will determine how you see a giant. So let's look at a couple things here that are very important. First of all, we underestimate David. I know what the Bible says, he's a youth and all this stuff, but we underestimate David. We look at Goliath because that's what we do. We look at Goliath and we always look at the obstacle and and it looks so insurmountable. This big, strong, hulking man with 125 pounds of armor, three offensive weapons, a shield, all this stuff, big booming voice. And of course he's got to be the insurmountable. What about David? Well, you see, there's something that they knew and David knew that we've forgotten. And that is this. David had a sling. Now, when you and I think of a sling, you and I think of little kid shooting marbles. But actually, at this period of time, and that's why I read it in Judges chapter 20, verse 16, we read it already, that the sling was one of the most devastating weapons of that time period. In fact, judges said it. There were 700 men in Israel that could accurately throw a stone to a hair's breadth. There is medieval tapestries that show us that the fact that that slingers could hit a bird in mid-flight. That they could actually hit a man from Upwards to 200 yards. So when David had a sling, he wasn't Dennis the Menace with a slingshot and a few marbles. But he was actually carrying a very devastating weapon. It was a a leather pouch attached by two long ropes. And, and, And when you would begin to whip that around at about seven or eight revolutions per second. And as you begin to do that, when you let the projectile go and you let one end of it go. So one end stayed attached to your hand and the other let go. So the, the rock would go wherever you were aiming it. That rock would leave that sling at over a hundred miles an hour. In fact, that the Roman army actually developed a tool. It was like these salad tongs that was specifically to die to be able to pull out rocks that were lodged in your body by these slings. They actually had that. That's why, if you notice, again, it's amazing how we read the Bible, we don't read the Bible. The Bible says when he threw the rock, it sunk into his forehead. It didn't bounce off. It hit with so much force. So, there was a researcher in Israel not too long ago. He was a ballistic expert with the Israeli army. He wanted to know if this was true. So he began to study the rocks in the Valley of Elah. And he discovered that the rocks in the Valley of Elah were made of borium sulfate, which are twice the density of other rocks. You think it was by accident that God set all this up? God knew what he was doing. And when you combine the weight of the rock with the speed of the projectile coming out of the sling, that that rock had the same stopping power of a forty-five caliber bullet shot out of a modern handgun. That that rock 
known. So you say, well, maybe it was a lucky shot. No, because David had already said, listen, I've been out in the field doing this thing already. So when David walks down and we look at Goliath and we look at Goliath and we say, well, if I walked down, I'd be like, oh, David walks down like this cocky kid. He, the Bible says that Goliath's almost like taken back. He's, he's like totally blown away. Are you kidding me? You're sending this kid? And David is like, dude, let me tell you what I'm about to do to you, son. In just a moment. I'm going to take this rock. I'm going to throw it right at you so hard. It's going to smack you so hard you're going to fall over. I'm going to take your own sword. I'm going to cut your head off so that everybody knows that God and my God is bigger than your God. And we're going to win this thing. You don't say that if you don't believe you're going to win. There's nothing worse than a trash talker that can't back it up. I mean, I've been around some legendary trash talkers. My man right here, Cassius Owens, is a legendary. You get Cassius Owens on the basketball court, he is a legendary uh, trash talker. Now, Cassius can back it up. But I've been in my day where I've seen some legendary trash talkers who could not walk and chew gum. David is is taunting this man who looks as if he is going to break him in half. And he's taunting him. You don't do that if you don't know what's about to happen. David already knew what was going to happen when he walked down that valley floor. But you see, here's the point. David was not walking in his own understanding, even though he was greatly skilled with a sling. But he was walking in faith. And because faith was working in his life. David did not look at himself through perspective of the giant. David looked at himself through the perspective of who he was in God. So he, the Bible says early, we read, is that they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight, and therefore the giants saw them as grasshoppers. But David did not walk down as a grasshopper. But David walked down already knowing this thing is about to go down. And in just a few moments, you're going down. But you see, God knows everything. And I'm about to show you something that hopefully is going to change your perspective of how you see giants. Because the Bible gives us some very interesting clues here about Goliath that when you start to piece them together, paints a little more of a different picture. That when you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, and you begin to see yourself through the eyes of faith, and the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen, and you begin to change your mind and see how God has designed this thing. When you're up on the ridge, and you're looking down at the giant, you see this glistening bronze God shining in the sun. But actually... There's a bigger picture to the story. The Bible tells us several things that are very unique. First of all, it's actually quite interesting. When Goliath walks onto the floor of the valley, the Bible says he's actually led by an attendant. Now I want you to think of this seven foot dude. When we think of a giant, we're thinking of this guy that's just like, sort of, Arnold Schwarzenegger times 50. 
But he's being led by an attendant carrying a shield. You say, well, that's, well, what's that all about? What's interesting, because in that type of warfare, the only people that had a shield bearer were archers. Because they couldn't protect themselves. So if this guy was so big and bad, then why did he need somebody to carry his shield? The other thing that's interesting is, is that he had three offensive weapons. Three weapons of devastating effectiveness. But there was something that was a flaw in all those weapons. You see, in modern, in, in ancient warfare, there were three types of soldiers. There were cavalry, the dudes that ride on the horses. There were heavy infantry. Heavy infantry. These are the guys with, the, with all the stuff, all the stuff like Goliath. These guys were like tanks. Goliath must have looked like a tank to them. And finally, there were were, were, were uh, archers and slingers. And so Goliath was, a, was an infantryman. He was, he was clothed in this tank-like structure. And so as he gets down on the bottom floor, if you're an infantry, and, and, and some of the ancient writers, of, and I studied some military history a little bit, I'm not an expert, so don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, but... In, 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 in ancient warfare, and I know some of you are like, this is just so boring. Why do I need it? I'm not giving you a history lesson. I'm trying to help you. Hold on a second. In ancient warfare, those three types of warriors canceled each other out. Sort of like a, a, a modern-day game of rock, paper, scissors. One, two, three. <laughs> scissors beat paper. Paper beats rock. Rock beats scissors. They cancel each other out. So in modern warfare... Infantry beat cavalry. Slingers and archers destroyed infantry. Cavalry would cancel out archers and slingers. So you got to understand this because here's the point. When Goliath is standing there at the valley floor and he's yelling and barking up there, he's expecting a fight like he's always had. And Saul is expecting We've got to fight like we've always fought. So Saul says, you've got to put armor because he's an infantry. So you've got to fight infantry with infantry. And David says, ah, you don't get it, dude. I'm not going to fight the way you think I'm going to fight. So he walks down on the valley floor and notice this. There's several things that take place that are very interesting. First of all, Goliath says, am I a dog that you come to me with stick? S-T-I-C-K-S. Slight problem. Dave was a shepherd. He was carrying a stick. But Goliath says, sticks. Then when David gets down to the floor, he sees David coming from a little while off. He doesn't even recognize or didn't even pay attention to what's going on. And then he barks at David, come to me. Come. Come. Let's fight. Let's fight. Come. Because he understands that in order to fight David, he's got to get David in here, in his world. But David had never intended to go into his world. But Goliath is trying to do this. Why was this the case? Well, something interesting. Now, you can take this as fact or fiction. It's, I just find it to be interesting. The Bible gives some clues, but ultimately it's not in the Bible, so we just have to choose what we're going to believe. But I mean, it's quite interesting. I read there in early second. In, in 2 Samuel, that there was actually a string of these giants. One of them actually had six fingers on each hand and six toes. 
and actually there's some that have done some research on this and it's quite, quite fascinating, is that Goliath and this strand of brothers he had, this family, possibly suffered from a genetic disorder of giantism, acromeglia. Acromeglia is a, is, a, is a condition where a benign tumor sits on the pituitary gland and because of its position on the pituitary gland, it actually causes an overproduction of human growth hormone in the body. And this human growth hormone in the body causes you to grow larger than the normal person and actually can cause you to grow extra digits and fingers. Hence, the guy with six toes and six fingers. And so, there's actually several cases that are still here today. Robert Wadlow, the tallest man ever in history, grew to eight foot eleven by the time he was in his mid-twenties, had acromeglia. But here's the interesting part. is this, is that you've got to understand... Somebody, have you ever been, I, 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 I've, I've had several occasions. One time I was a kid and we were traveling, I believe it was to Africa. We were in the airport, in Dulles Airport. This was years ago in the 80s. And I remember we saw, and some of you don't know this name, some of you would, Minute Bow. Remember Minute Bow? That dude was about the width of a pencil. But he was seven foot seven. I remember as a kid, he came in the, the area where we were, and he was so big that, they, like, he was at the little uh, 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 cafe, whatever it was, the little cafeteria where you had the tray, and it was, like, to his knees. It was amazing how tall he was. As a kid, I'm thinking, this, is, this guy is just insane. Years ago, my wife for my birthday, this was, this was years ago, Michael Jordan had started playing for the uh, Washington Wizards on, on what could have only been imagined as a poor career choice after he left the Chicago Bulls. He spent several years with the Wizards, and so my wife for a birthday gift took me to see Michael Jordan, and at the time he was playing Michael Jordan and Yao Ming. Yao Ming was the seven foot six Chinese guy. His head was about the size of a freight train. It was amazing how big of a human being he was. And when you see these guys, it is absolutely, it just all is struck, intimidating how big they are. That's what it must have been like. And then you throw 125 pounds of armor on this dude. You give him a spear, a javelin, a sword. He had to look like, oh my goodness. But there's a problem. Not only... Does it cause you to grow larger, but you're slow? In fact, if you read the Hebrew words in the story, the Hebraic tenses kind of give, as one scholar says, the tenses of the verb describe more of someone who moved with a slow pace. He's slow. And not only that, there's another problem that comes with acromeglia. is that the pituitary gland is usually located and the tumor sits on the optic nerves. That people with this form condition often suffer with blurred vision and even double vision. So when he walks down and sees David, he says, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? David had stick 
Why is this important? Because eventually he says, come to me, David, come. It's almost as if he doesn't understand anything other than, well, what happened? And not only that, he had to be led on the valley floor. It's not like it would be hard to walk from the hill down there. Why is he being led? Because he can't see. He's got poor vision. He's got poor depth perception. So why do the men on the ridge stand with fear and this shepherd boy walk with such confidence? It's because all they could see was the giant. But David saw God. And God saw David. You see, today, you're facing giants. And as you stand on the ridge of your life looking down, giants look intimidating. Fear looks intimidating. Shame looks intimidating. Hurt looks intimidating. Broken relationships look intimidating. And they bark at you. It's over. I'm here. I'm going to destroy you. But you know what's amazing about fear? Listen to it. It can't tell the truth. Listen to shame. It can't tell the truth. Listen to the voices of pain and hurt. They don't tell the truth. Why? Because they got weaknesses. They can't see you for who you are. They're warning. But you see, when you don't know who you are and who God's made you to be, you listen to the voice of the giant instead of listening to the voice of God. But you see, in the, in the, in, in, out in the wilderness, out in the shepherd field, when David was out there and he's, he's playing his heart and he's singing to Jesus, he's singing to God and he, he's having this communication with God and all this stuff is happening. You know what's happening? As God, as he's talking to God, guess what happens when you talk to God? God talks back to you. Let me say this, you can't tell God how great he is without him telling you how great you are. And when David spent all that time talking to God, he was showing David who he really was. So when David walked, he couldn't care if that giant was 7 feet, 9 feet, 11 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. It didn't matter to David how many weapons that dude had. It didn't matter to David. He didn't see any of it. He knew when he walked on that valley floor, it was already a done deal. Because his faith changed his thinking, and his thinking changed his faith. You see, when David was in that, out in that shepherd field, God used little, little, those little battles to change his faith. Because he told Saul, I already know this is going to happen. I've had it happen. It's already done. I've seen it. I've walked in it. I've already had this happen. If God did then, he can do it again today. It's already there. His faith was at an all-time high. And because his faith was at an all-time high, he thought nothing. Stand there in front of that guy and taunt him? You come to me. And I love it, right? Twice David points out what would appear to be Goliath's strengths, but really was weakened. He said, you come to me with sword and shield. And when this is all and over, I'm going to show you that God is greater than your sword and your shield. It was almost like David was saying, what you think you're going to use to destroy me can't even touch me. What you think is going to destroy you, me, 
I'm not even going to let you get close enough that I'm going to get a scratch on my arm because there's something you don't even know. And it's amazing to me that Goliath was so oblivious that when that boy put, and the thing is, notice what the Bible says, David started running. He started running. And Goliath had to be taken off guard. What is he doing? And now he realized as he was running, he put his hand in that little sack, put out that Pull out, pulled out that stone and began to swirl that thing around and let it go at a hundred miles an hour and with precision struck Goliath right in the head. Why is all this important? It's because you know what? The devil wants you to feel like today that you're the underdog and that he is this insurmountable giant that stands in your life that you can't. Fear doesn't want you to know the truth. Shame doesn't want you to know the truth. It it doesn't want you to know the truth because if it knows, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's why when you're overcome with fear, It goes away when you turn on the light. Because fear works by getting you to believe something's there that's not. Fear. Come on, we've all been there. It's it's happened, right? You see a spot on your arm, you feel a a lump on your shoulder, you 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 got a weird skin rash. It could just be just something normal. But no, fear doesn't say that. Fear's already having you pick out your coffin. Fear's already saying, who do you want to sing at your funeral? Where would you like to be buried? Would you like to be cremated? Fear's already picking out. It's all there. Fear does that. Fear's not telling you the truth. But when you go and you confront fear with faith, you expose the fact that fear can't tell the truth. Shame sneaks up on you with all its glistening, glistening armor with its intimidating presence. And shame looks at you and says, you'll never be anything. You'll never amount to anything. I know your past. I know what you've done. I know who you are. That's what shame barks at you. But you have a choice today. You can look back at the giant and you can, you can fall down in fear and go, oh, I'll never overstand it. Or you can realize that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You can sit there and let the giants of your life intimidate you. You can let this stand there and let the giants of your life bark out at you. And you can say, well, you know, maybe one day I'll get lucky. Maybe one day I'll just get blessed. Maybe one day I'll come to church and it's my Sunday to get lucky with my stone. Or you can realize, you know what? The power of God is in me. I'm a child of God bought with a price, filled with a spirit. And you can walk into the valley floor instead of running away from fear you can walk up to fear and say listen fear you've run my life long enough you've intimidated me you've paralyzed me you've hurt me you've kept me in a shadow long enough but listen to me fear I'm not coming to you with anything that I've got but I'm coming to you fear in the name of the Lord because greater is he that's in me and you know what fear fear can't stand that You can let shame bark at you. Or you can turn at the table on shame and say, you know what? I did do those things. You're right, shame. I have messed up. You're right, shame. 
I have made mistakes. But God, who is rich in mercy, whose blood flows from the foot of Calvary, has washed me and cleansed me and made me whole. You can leave out of here today as a grasshopper. Or you can leave out of here today as a giant killer. It just depends on how you're going to let God look at you today. You can be a grasshopper and live your life as a grasshopper. Or you can leave your life here today as a giant killer. Every person in this room today has some kind of giant that's facing you. You've let that thing bark at you. You've let that thing intimidate you. You've let that thing dictate your life. But it's time through the power of God for you to realize you're not the underdog. You're not some underdog who just gets lucky. But you've got to realize something. That you are greater because of who is in you. You know what was amazing? The whole story, it's quite interesting when you look at the story. David had skills, tremendous skills, to be able to run and to be able to hit Goliath with such precision and accuracy. You didn't just pick up a sling yesterday at Walmart and try it. That that took time, practice. The problem was, he wasn't the only slinger in the army. We read in Judges that Israel during the time of Judges, had 700 of these dudes. So more than likely, they had at least 700, if not more. Then why was this kid, who wasn't even an army, the one? He wasn't the only guy with a sling who had that kind of accuracy. He wasn't the only guy with a sling that could have done what he did. Why him? Because it really had nothing to do with the sling. It had all to do with him. Had really nothing to do with the sling. It had to do with how he saw who he was because of who he was. You don't need some special method today. You don't need to find some better sword. We're always looking for the next best thing. You're, you know, you're going on Instagram or Facebook and someone's telling you, do this diet. And you know, you go from, you know, you got to cleanse. You do a cleanse. You, you do a cleanse. Now you got to eat fat. Don't eat fat. Eat fat. Don't have carbs. Eat carbs. Have protein. Don't have protein. Cleanse again. Eat fat. You're trying everything. Chasing. That method. That's what we're built on. We're built on chasing it. i got to be honest with you today. I even come with a better sling. You don't need a better sling. I even come today with some kind of special method. method some how-to book. Says step one, this. Step two, this. I'm not here. I'm telling you. You've got all that you need. So what has to change? What's got to change is you've got to let God Change the way you think about yourself. And if he lets you change the way you think about yourself, it's going to change the way you believe. And if you change the way you believe, it's going to change the way you think. And if it's to change the way you think, it's going to change the way you believe. And if you change the way you believe, it's going to change the way you think. You can't change your faith without changing your thinking. And you can't change your thinking without affecting your faith. 
As a man thinketh, so shall he be. When David stood on that valley floor, he was the giant. He wasn't the shepherd boy. He was the giant. We see the giant, but David was the giant. So who's going to be the giant when you leave here? Is fear going to be the giant? Are you going to be the giant? Is your past going to be the giant? Are you going to be the giant? Are the mistakes you've made going to be the giant? Are you going to be the giant? Is broken dreams going to be the giant? Are you going to be the giant? You say, but I'm, I'm not those things. You're right, you're not, but he is. And just like David, if you would let God touch you today, and you would let God, more than just an emotional experience, but you would let God show you today who you are. He wasn't some shepherd boy. He walked out of there. He walked onto that field still feeling the, 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 the trickles of the anointing oil running down his forehead. He walked out of there to, on that day still feeling the presence of God that was ushered in to that field with those sheep every day as he sung to God. That's what he walked out there with. He didn't walk out there as a shepherd boy. He walked out there as a giant slayer. What would happen, Brother Nielsen, if we walked out of here today and as the giants in the parking lot, the giants in your home, the giants on your job, the giants in your neighborhood, the giants that are lurking around every corner in the society, if instead of we walking out there going, oh, I hope I can survive one more week, I hope I can just hold on for Jesus, but you walk out of there going, greater is he. That is in me. You know what? Instead of running away from fear, you're going to start running to fear. Instead of running away from your past, you're going to run to your past. Instead of running away from, from, from bondage, you're going to run to it. Why? Not so that you want to intimidate, you want to get into a fight. It's because you're like, I will not stand idle anymore. Would you stand with me today? It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say all this and this is great. You know, you walk out of here going, well, that was cute. That was neat. Then you fall back into your, you, you go, go home today and you climb back up your ridge and you hide on, uh, hide on the other side of your boulders. You can do that. You can do that. I've used this story before and I'll, I'll say it again. i use it again. It was the Duck Church needed a new pastor. And so the Duck Church finally found the best pastor they could. And so on the first day of the new, of, his, of being a pastor, the pastor duck got up. He began to quack with such fervency. He began to quack and tell the ducks, you weren't born to waddle, but you were born to fly. Fly, ducks, fly. You don't have to waddle. You don't have to swim on the ponds, but you can fly. You can take flight. And the ducks quacked back with such fervency. They quacked back with such excitement. They quacked back. This is great. This is awesome. But when it's done, they waddled home. To say all this, this is great. This is awesome. Let's go be giant slayer. To walk back up and climb back to our ridge behind our rocks. We've done nothing today. But waste a few hours 
that you could be spending celebrating Father's Day. But I believe today, today in Jesus' name, God laid this on my heart. It's not a Father's Day message. It's a God's message. Because God wants someone to leave here today as a giant slayer. Because you have let fear, you've let shame, you've let bondage, you've let regret, you've let broken, you've let all these things bark at you long enough. But it's time for you today to say you come to me with accusations, you come to me with lies, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. So if you're here today, I don't know who you are, I feel it in my spirit though. If you're here today and you have giants barking at you, I want you to come stand right up here. We're going to pray right here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start it right now. Don't walk up here intimidated. Don't walk up here in some kind of religious, oh, I hope. Walk up here with your shoulders back saying, it's about to go down right now. Come on, it's about to go down. This is, this is the day. In Jesus' name. You're not the underdog. You're not the underdog. You're not, it's not some underdog story. You know who's the underdog? Fear's the underdog. You know who's the underdog? Shame's the underdog. And the only way it can win is to convince you that you're something you're not. You're not weak. You're not broken. You're not a lost cause. You're not flawed. But if God's here and he's in this place and you're connected with him, there is nothing. The Bible says with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's just a matter who are you going to listen to? What voice are you going to listen to today? Are you going to listen to Goliath's voice or God's voice? David chose God's voice. Too many of us listen to Goliath's voice. But today, today, we're going to stand on the valley floor of our life and we're declaring to fear. This is not going to be the only time we have to face this. You're going to walk out today and that voice is going to say, see, all that was just a bunch. I'm waiting for you when you get home. I'm waiting for you when you get back in your car. You don't have to put up with that today. Starting right now, you can declare that I will stand with shoulders back, head up, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're going to pray here just a moment. Can I get brothers and sisters? I want everybody to have a, a battle partner with them. You're not going to pray for them. You're going to play with them. You're just going to strengthen them. I want everybody to come, I want, I want everybody to come find somebody, link with them. We're going to pray with them. We're going to pray that the power of God would rise up, that faith would rise up, but more importantly, that God would open our eyes that we can see who we are. Bind the lies of the adversary. Bind the attacks of the enemy that we can open up. In the name of Jesus, let's join together. Let's begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. I believe, Lord, you've given me this word for somebody today. I believe there's somebody in here today that you're trying to set free by the power of the word. I bind the lies of the adversary. I bind the lies of hell itself.
I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I cast them down in Jesus' name. By the power of the word, by the authority of the name, I speak for faith to rise in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on, let's begin to pray. Come on, pray. Come on, let faith rise up in you right now. It's not emotion, it's faith. It's faith. We bind the lies of Satan that are fighting our brothers and sisters. We bind the lies of fear. We bind the lies of shame. We bind the lies of hurt. We bind the lies of broken marriages, broken relationships, broken dreams. We bind them in Jesus' name. And we lose faith to rise. Rise up faith. Rise up faith. Come on, this is not about emotion. This is about faith. Don't wait for an emotion. Believe it. Don't wait and say, I don't feel anything. You may not feel anything. It's faith. Faith is not predicated on your feeling. Faith is, I believe it because God said it. Faith believes it. Faith doesn't need an emotion. Faith believes. Don't listen to the emotion. Don't wait for the emotion. Have faith. Speak faith. Reach in faith. Oh, in the name of Jesus. You don't have to have tears to have faith. You don't have to be loud to have faith. You don't have to have a great sense of of energy to have faith. You just got to believe. God, I believe. God, I believe. God, I believe. I believe. I believe, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, we are giant slayers. We are giant slayers. We are giant slayers today. We're not the underdog, but we are great because he is great. He hasn't called us to run from giants, but he has called us to face our giant. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Don't walk out of here saying, I didn't feel anything. 
I didn't feel emotion. I didn't feel what I was supposed to feel. It's not about what you feel. It's about walking out of here. What do you believe? How do you think? Are you going to think like a giant slayer? Are you going to believe like a giant slayer? Oh, in the name of Jesus. Jesus name. In the name of Jesus. 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 Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yay! Yeah.